Welcome to Practical Witch Talk. I'm your host, Friday Gladhart, author of The Practical Witch's Almanac and instructor at Witch Academy. This podcast is meant to help you identify red flags when you meet other witches in person or when you join a coven, a teaching circle, or other group. I'm going to cover some real-life examples of things to avoid and red flags to watch out for. This podcast is also a call to action to all those witches out there who let these red flags slide in their communities. Before I begin, I'm going to get real about a few things. I'll be talking about sex, nudity, gender, religious trauma, coercion, manipulation, and the witchcraft community as a whole has generally avoided discussing these things because, well, there's several reasons for this. Primarily because most of us who've been around the wheel of the year a few times believed that bad actors were the exception and not the norm. Unfortunately, this is not the case in some areas, and while we weren't looking, a whole new batch of self-entitled elders have come on the scene. These topics are also avoided because we fear it may shed a bad light on our community to focus on those fringe elements with predatory tendencies when the vast majority of us of covens and groups do not engage in coercion or any predatory activity. However, this is a very privileged stance to be in as newcomers in remote areas, particularly with those with limited internet access, and people in the Bible Belt. These people have more access to red flag groups than they do legitimate covens, and allowing a group to continue their nefarious activity without calling them out is the fastest way for their illicit activities to become public and to harm all of us. We've struggled for years to stay off the pyre, to stay off the stake, and at this point, it is a disservice to the community to remain silent. So many people are drawn to paganism, Wicca, witchcraft, and the sort because they have religious trauma from a conservative or fundamentalist Christian upbringing. Paganism and witchcraft, uh, well, they can also offer women equal rights with men, something not available in other in many other religions. Women are especially attracted to the craft for this reason. And our society and and that Christian upbringing or or Judaism um well because most people are accustomed to christianity and judaism or formal structures newcomers to the craft often accept this hierarchical structure of a coven or specific doctrine from a specific coven leader without asking any questions and this makes them ripe for further religious trauma and predation uh women in the south are particularly vulnerable where uh gender roles are ooh about 20 years in the past in some areas, and, y- you know, you're given the choice of being a teacher, a nurse, or uh, basically a teacher or a nurse, or until you become married. I mean, it, these gender roles in the South are very stifling for a lot of women, and they feel very disempowered. Their Christian upbringing further disempowered them. Um, so... Because they're accustomed to this, and and they, particularly women, but also men, often don't ask questions. There's a certain fragility for these people when they first dive into the rainbow of possibilities of paganism and witchcraft. And it falls upon those of us who've been around a while to protect these individuals from further trauma and predation by calling out the BS and the red flags. Those of us who are polyamorous or bi- uh, trans, non-gendered, etc. We often find a home in paganism and witchcraft, but there are groups out there who exploit those differences and use them as a tool to coerce and manipulate. 
you know, kind of that one of us thing. Like, you're polyamorous, so am I. You must be one of us, and this is what polyamorous people do, etc. So since I moved to the southern United States 10 years ago, I noticed some things. And like most witches who've been around a while, I believe this is something to be extinct, or at least fairly extremely rare. So let's go over the two scenarios that I see on a weekly basis. The first is common interest friends groups with an expert, and the second is covens or groups with obfuscated agendas. The first is the group of friends, all with various levels of interest in witchcraft or magic or occultism, but one of them has billed themselves as the expert. Although I've seen this group dynamic with all genders, for the past two years it's been a male expert 90% of the time. So all you great pagan men out there, I know you're out there. It is time to stand up and be heard. The unscrupulous few are being heard more often than you are. I see the group... Okay, so I see this group at an occult bookstore, and one individual will pick up this beautiful labradorite stone. The blue flash streaks across the surface with this amazing intensity as she holds it, and suddenly the group's so-called expert comes up behind her and tells her that she's not ready for that. Then another member of the group is perusing the tarot cards. The group expert strides over, hands her deck, and says that this is the one for you. Sadly, she can't buy the tarot deck for herself, as it must be given to her as a gift. So you guys may have heard my rant about the tarot gift-giving thing before, so suffice it to say that it is empowering to find a deck that's right for you and to purchase it as a gift for yourself. I'm going to let the rest of that go for another rant one day. I can go on with numerous expert friend examples here, but the bottom line is that when anyone tries to take your power away from you, that's a red flag. I'm going to go on with some examples of groups and covens. Covens and group red flags are a tricky subject. So keep in mind that there are some rare exceptions to the situations I'm going to talk about for specific traditions. Let's use skyclad rituals as the first example of this. A skyclad ritual is one that's done in the nude. This is done for several reasons. Without clothing, there's no class or status. No one has designer clothes, while another coven member has the $3 big box t-shirt special. It's also done to allow energy to flow more easily. However, this reason has never resonated with me. Well, any witch worth her broom can work magic dressed in anything from a cloak to aluminum foil. The final reasoning is that it helps to develop unity and trust among members, and here's where we run into some cognitive dissonance. When you are new to a group, getting naked in front of relative strangers is not a way to form trusting bonds, nor does it prove that you trust others or that you're trustworthy. Nudity in your solitary rituals is one thing, but in a group setting, it can be problematic. And that said, I've participated in Skyclad by Choice groups, where everyone was nude except myself, and one other. I was comfortable, but the other individual felt like an outsider and felt pressured to strip. I've also been in all women's group where nudity seemed so natural that I never even gave it a second thought. But what can we learn from this? If a group is new or the group has new members who've not been around the usual year and a day or maybe have been but are uh, new to witchcraft in general or are just just coming into adulthood, it is best to skip those skyclad rituals. If skyclad rituals are being considered, good leaders will have performed background checks, with permission, on all participants and will check the sex offender register. A good leader will insist that only people 21 years of age or older participate in skyclad rituals. 
And in my humble opinion, it should be closer to 26 and older. There's a good reason for this. There's a certain level of maturity that you really, even myself, and I, I did participate in uh, sky-clad group rituals as well as group sexual rituals before the age of 26. And I can tell you that I was not ready and that other people I have spoken with were also not ready. There is a certain intimacy that is beyond the intimacy you have in a standard couple relationship or even a, a polyamorous relationship. You're creating magical and spiritual bonds as well. And you need to know these people as well as you know yourself before you participate in a lot of these things. So, well, let's get into the juicy center of this podcast, ritual sex. Let's say it's Beltane and you've been studying with a group for a year and a day. You've had a wonderful Beltane Sabbath ritual. You danced around the Maypole. Uh, you drink a bunch of mead uh, or cider. And now the high priestess is making out with other members of the group. You think, oh, sure, it's Beltane. It is a sexually charged time of the year. Spring has sprung, if you will. And this is just an extension of the symbolic great rite you did in the ritual circle with the athame and the cup. And you're sitting by the fire with a couple of members who've returned from their encounter with the high priestess. And they're encouraging you to go see her, to help raise energy. You pass, but then you aren't invited to the next ritual. Or the next. Or the next. And we aren't talking about a tantric sex group. We aren't talking about a coven that's been together for years. We're talking about groups with high public visibility, high member turnover, and for good reason, active recruiting of younger members or members with money. And there's just lots of red flags here, my friends. This is not that unusual anymore. It's, it's becoming more and more common. Let's, let's call everybody out on this. If a group performs the actual great right, this should be disclosed up front to anyone attending a ritual. Upstanding groups that do perform the great rite have usually been together a long time, and it is normally done only between the high priest and priestess or other leaders, and they're normally already in a committed relationship outside of the circle with each other. There are exceptions to the norm, but not many, so this is red flag territory. As a pansexual, polyamorous pagan, you know that I am not being a prude. A lot of peas in that one. It is not okay to spring this kind of thing on people, and the peer pressure to engage in sexual activity with other members of the group is coercive and toxic. It can cause serious mental and spiritual damage, and it's illegal. So now, let's say you find a new group, and they're offering a training and initiation. Woohoo! Because it is so difficult to find any group of witches or pagans, especially in remote areas of the Bible Belt, and in some other areas, that it can be exciting to learn that there is an open group in your area. So you join the group, you go to a few meetings, and you notice that a few things are off. Maybe the leaders are reading the invocations and evocations from index cards, although they say they've practiced for decades. Okay, so this could be understandable. If ritual structures fluctuate a lot, but when the elements are called the same way every time, shouldn't it be committed to memory at some point over the years to me? This is a red flag, so leaders who claim that much expertise should be able to put down the index cards and summon their words from within. Maybe this isn't a red alert flag for you, but at least consider it a yellow warning flag. There are some groups that use spirituality as an excuse. So let's say you find a group that has a ritual that it feels like everybody's going through the motions in anticipation of the after party. 
if the rituals you attend in the group feel stiff and uncomfortable, if the leaders are reading all the words in monotone, here's another yellow warning flag. This becomes a red alert flag when the after-ritual celebrations begin and people start doing drugs, getting naked, pairing off, and start sexual activity in front of you. You have to start wondering, is the witchcraft just a backdrop and and props for a sex group? And that's fine if you're looking for a sex group. But if this was purported to be a spiritual, Wiccan, witchcraft, pagan group, and sex seems to be the number one priority where rituals are uncomfortable or even unfamiliar to the leaders, you got to start wondering, you know, did they buy more condoms than they did candles for the ritual? You know, just asking. So the last subject is exclusivity. Uh, there has been a disturbing tendency for people to restrict where you can learn and who you can talk to. Well, let me, let me get into it. Maybe you notice that, uh, that in your group, some of the members are invited to certain Sabbaths and Esbets while others are not. Okay, this could be a red flag or at least a yellow flag, but there are some legit reasons this might happen. But all too often, the reasons are not legit. What I've seen most often for the past few years is that exclusion in further training, initiation, or participation in rituals is used as a way to coerce people into proper behavior. Lately, the so-called proper behavior is either A, having sex with a group leader or leaders, or B, you must stop associating with certain other witches, ex-members of the group, perceived, quote, enemies of the group, or even your own family and friends. And yes, I've actually encountered this in my area in the 21st century. Seriously. So exclusivity isn't always a red flag. It's Normal not to be invited to certain events when you have an inner circle and outer circle set up. It should be made clear when you join a group. Outer court and outer court training does not always guarantee participation in inner court or inner circle. Groups that are set up with inner and outer structure will offer training, outer court, to newcomers. But the original coven may have been together for many years. They don't want to change the dynamic of their inner court coven. So over the years, inner and outer court traditions have become less common. Those lines have been less and less differentiated. But hopefully this podcast will encourage people to consider bringing them back into popularity so that we can share our wisdom with newcomers without necessarily adopting them into our coven family where we already have things kind of set into place, but instead allow them to develop their own covens and show them by example how to lead, how to perform rituals, and how to create their own tribe or their own family. Invitations can also be withheld when a newcomer clashes with an established member. In this case, don't worry about it. You will find the group that's right for you in time. It might be a red flag, but mostly it's just not the right fit. Invitations can be withheld because a newcomer has mental instability. It is completely reasonable for a coven leader to select new members who are mentally healthy enough to do magic and ritual work without throwing the group dynamic into disarray. Witchcraft attracts a wide variety of people, and like any sampling of the populace, some of these people are better served through professional psychiatric care. Invitations can also be withheld because a newcomer has a criminal record. It is completely reasonable 
for a coven to ensure their own safety. If you have a criminal record, some covens may not accept you. If you have a criminal record that includes sexual assault, almost no covens will accept you. I have a lot more to talk about on this subject, but we're at about 17 minutes now, and I want to make all of my podcasts really brief. I have a lot of information to share in each one, and it can be a lot to process. If you have comments, questions, rants, uh, counterpoints, please let me know, and either I'll bring you on the show for an interview or uh, I'll answer your questions on the next podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a blessed day, and do remember that there are amazing, wonderful, wonderful people out there, but some of the most publicly accessible ones are starting to become a little questionable, and I think that we all need to be a little more public in our teachings and our practices and what is considered normal, because uh, there's a lot of really nefarious activity as being fairly normal, and this just isn't the case, so stay safe. Have a blessed day. Merry part.